Um, well, I want to I want to start off by going a little off script, if I can. Uh, Keith, you guys in the booth, don't don't get angry for me for that. We like to stay on cue with stuff, but um, just really felt led to come and share with you guys. Um, so. Last December was when I moved into the position I'm in now and, and have been almost uh, pastoring this church now for a year now. And God has really been teaching me a lot and our elders a lot and our leadership a lot about what, what he has in store for this church. And so uh, I just want to encourage you in this. I, I really feel God is grooming uh, the leadership in our church to be faithful biblically to what God is calling us to be. And so over the past six months to a year, first, like I said, the deacons have really taken upon themselves to really say, you know, how can we lead this church well? How can we stay biblically focused to what God has called us to be? And over the past six months to a year, they've been specifically and, and intentionally trying to figure out how they can lead in ways that is going to edify our church in the best way possible. And God has been grooming us to hold on. It's amazing to see what God's doing in and through them. And our elders have been trying to do the same. God has kind of pressed on our hearts. So what does this look like? How do we do this? And so God's really been stirring our heart. Where are we trying to go as a church as well? A vision and a direction for a church. And we kind of about a little over a month ago, I think, sat down in one of the elders' meetings, just really felt like God was leading us to say, listen, we, we need to sit down and get serious about this. Like it's time to really, been a lot of learning, a lot of growing. And so we kind of committed kind of the month of October saying we, we want to focus this time just really praying God to lead us in this time and to guide and direct us. And I just want to tell you, about two weeks ago, the elders went down for a visioning retreat down to Falls Creek to kind of say, God, where are you wanting us to go as a church? Because we feel like we need to have clear direction to lead this church and to unpack it to them. And, and God is stirring in us. And we're trying to step back and say, we don't want to lead by our own power, our own will, our own desires for the church. We want to submit to what you want for us. And not just that, we've been asking God, God, what do you want us as elders to lead in this church? What does it look like biblically to do it? Uh, last Wednesday and Thursday, a few of us went to a conference in Dallas, to, an elders conference, to learn, to just glean, to grow. And, and God is grooming us, I want to say that. And, and I bring you in that process because I think it's important for the church to be praying for us, that God leads and directs us. Uh, we don't want pride, we don't want arrogance, we don't want our own intentions, desires to get in the way. We want God to lead in this endeavor. And so I, I earnestly hope uh, I think in the next few weeks, we're, we're tending to sit down and unpack really where God has been leading us. There's been some great things, but just kind of clarify that. And hopefully with our attention by February is my hope, having a sermon series talking about where is God leading a vision and direction specifically for our church to unpack. I know a lot of people have been asking me, where are we going? What are we doing? And I've been very timid to say this is what it is because we want to pray. We want to basket in prayer. We want God to lead that. And so I know this is off script. It's off cut. This is what I'm going to ask. Um, I just want you to visually see some of the men leading the church right now, and so you know who to be praying for. And so I'm going to ask first, if, if you're an elder, would you stand up just so people can see you and know who to be praying for? Don't be bashful now. I know we got one, I think, missing. Here's we got JD's the only other one not here today. These are elders right now who are leading, and we have been, uh, God is just, it's amazing how we go and talk, we go away, and God is stirring hearts, and we come back together. God is giving a common thread in our language, a common thread in what he's trying to do for us. And so these are men I'm going to ask you to start praying for that God would continue to lead. I'm going to ask as well, if you're a deacon, would you please stand up? Not to put you on the spot and make you nervous. Elders, go ahead and stay standing. You guys go ahead and stay standing. And these are the deacons, and I'm going to say this. They, they have impressed me. I've served at a lot of churches, um, and I've never seen men desperately hunger to stand up and say, what does it look like to be a deacon, and how can we do it well? Not what we've seen, not what just sounds good. Why not we have a business model that seems great, but how do we lead in a way that is edifying to the church, that is biblically based, and is going to serve this church well? And these men have been pouring after that. They've been intentionally doing it. 
And sometimes what you see is kind of slow coming to fruition, but I'm telling you, you're going to see the fruit real soon from that stuff. And so this is what I'm going to ask. If you guys remain standing for just a second, I'm going to ask our church, if we can take just a second and just spend a second praying for our leadership. I don't do this out of pride. I don't do this out of some sort of false sense of piety to make us look better or whatever, but really this is needed from you, the church, to pray for us because we want to serve our church well. And if God's not in the heart of what's going on, then we have no business doing it in the first place, right? And so I'm going to ask where you're at. If you'll take a second for these men standing right here, a few I know that are missing today, would you take a second and just pray for us? Pray for God to lead us. Pray for God to give clarity. Pray for God to give us direction. Pray for God to give us discernment and all these things. So if you just, I just want to take the next one to two minutes. If you'll please, I'm just kind of pleading with you, do that for us. I'd, I'd be gratefully, I'd be grateful to you. So I'll, I'll go quiet for a second. Father God, you are good. God, I, I myself, I know these other men stand and humbly submit to you, your, to your plans, your will, your desires. God, we, we, we desperately want to lead this church in a way that glorifies you, that stays true to what the Scripture says, to what we should be doing, to lead in a way that encourages, to lead in a way that serves. And so God, guide and direct us right now more than ever. God, I believe you're working in our hearts. I believe they're, 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 you're unifying our hearts in ways that we can never do on our own. You're inspiring men to do stuff that, that uh, has not been there before in ways that have never been before. And I believe you're grooming us, God. So God, I pray you just lift us up to just to be faithful to what you have in place, God. God, we don't desire to lord, lead, or to, to lord leadership over people or just to, uh, to, to establish authority. That's not what this is about. It's about leading well, shepherding well, and loving well. So guide our hearts in that, God. I pray our church, God, please allow them to encourage us. I pray these men that they would, over the next two, three weeks, month, just be praying for us and just saying, God, just, just give us direction. God, we need encouragement. We need guidance. We need hope. We need you. And so, God, we submit to your plans. We submit to your will. We submit to your goodness. God, I'm excited what you have in store for North Point. And, God, I, I pray our church would be unified coming soon on, on, on where we're heading and what we're doing. So start stirring their hearts as well, God. God, we, we want to be faithful to you in all things and trust in you in all things, God. I praise you for being a holy and faithful God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> I thank you for that. Um, I did that because I think there's an air of excitement and nervousness all at the same time. Excitement what God's going to do, but nervousness because we want to be faithful to what God wants to do because we know if it's by our ambitions, our will, it is going to fail miserably. And so... Um, this has been going on for a while, and uh, we, I think we were coming back from Dallas, and, and we were talking, the elders said, man, we, we kind of maybe dropped the ball. We should have been asking the church a long time ago to be praying for this and brought it to their attention. And it's kind of that realization that, listen, we, we, need, we need God's hand all over this. And God is doing something. I firmly believe that. But 
um, we, we continue to invest that in prayer. But like I said, um, you, I do believe you should, you are seeing difference in our deacons and our elders. You'll be seeing a lot more of what God is doing in and through us. And hopefully in February, God um, will unpack that to the church, say this is where we believe God's leading us, and then we can all put our hands to the plow and be fighting for the same direction, the same cause that God leads for us. So with that being said, not too bad off on my timetable, a little timeline up here if I can see on the screen. Uh, we, we are going to finish up Daniel today. Hopefully Daniel's been a good series for you. If not, just pretend like it was and just make me feel good about myself. It's all good. Uh, you can open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. We'll, we will kind of be there. Um, but we're, we're wrapping up Daniel, and next week we're starting a new series. Um, and I, I hope Daniel has opened up your eyes to a different thing about God that maybe you haven't seen before. Or maybe a different understanding of the account, the story, the narrative that you never saw before. Because if you're like me growing up, I always thought Daniel was just about this dude getting rescued out of a lion's den. You're like, cool story. But it's really not about that. It's being faithful in the midst of adversity. It's being, it's being faithful in the midst of all difficulties in your life. It's saying, listen, even though God's not delivering me right now, and he's not, probably won't take me out of the situation, God is still faithful and good. And it's a timeless story. It's a timeless account for us all. And so as you're opening there, I have to ask you a question that kind of sets up today's lesson, today's sermon is this. Have you ever, have you ever had a just trust me moment with someone? You know what I'm talking about? You ever do that with family, like they have something and you're like, listen, I, I just need you to trust me right now. You ever, you ever have that? Or a friend? Have you ever had a situation where someone said, just trust me and it did not work out well? Anybody have that for? All right. Yeah, I know some of you got laughing because you got like growing up, that was a little, my dad liked to scare us a little bit, all sorts of stuff. And he say, just trust me. I'm like, yeah not happening. Like, if I'm ever around my dad and there's a snake present, I'm running the opposite direction because I have horror stories of what he's done to me. And he'll laugh, oh, don't you trust me? I'm like, no, I don't trust you. Are you crazy? What you did last time? Throwing, like, are you kidding me? Now, I'm in a situation now where my kids are growing up and I'm having these just trust me moments. To give you an idea of a situation I had, we went camping this past weekend to Red Rock Canyon out in Hinton. And my daughter uh, was helping, my youngest daughter, Hallie, was helping me collect sticks for the, for the fire. As we're collecting sticks, she picked up a piece of wood, and a splinter got in her finger. And I don't know if you know, if kids get splintered, you might as well cut off that finger because, like, it's the worst thing ever, right? Like, they're screaming bloody murder and stuff. So she sits down, and she's kind of trying to compose herself. And I say, hey, let me see my, your finger. And I go to grab her hand, and she immediately starts, don't touch it, Daddy! Don't touch it! Like, you're going, I'm like, what is going on here, kid? I'm like, come on, let me see your finger here. Like, what, what's going on? She's like, well, don't hurt it. And I said, Hallie. Have I ever just grabbed your finger and just like potentially hurt you? She goes, no. I'm like, well, then why don't you trust me right now? So she gave me her finger, and I pull up my six-inch buck knife. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> didn't happen like that. But it's funny because it's like, hey, I just need you to trust me. I just need you to trust me. Like, why, why don't you, have I not shown a track record that you can trust me? me? Me and Emily were in the same situation fresh out of college where God was stirring in my heart to go and be a minister at this church in a small town called Afton. You've heard the story. You've heard this account. Now, God stirred in my heart, and I went and told my wife, like, I think God's calling us to Afton. And my wife goes, I think God's calling you to Afton. <laughs> like, let's get this straight right here. And after a year of talking, after a year of talking, I mean, I came to a point, I say, you just have to trust me. I know. And she began to pray, and God began to stir in her heart, too, and we ended up going. But it's hard in those just trust me moments, isn't it? Because just trust me, it all comes down to have you had a proven track record that you can see from what you've seen, you can trust what you can't. How do we get through that? I bring that up to connection today because we have to ask ourselves, how do we navigate the trust me portions of Scripture? When you see stuff in Scripture where God's saying, trust me, how, how do we navigate through that stuff? I tell you that because Daniel chapter 7 through 12 
which we're covering today. And some of you are like, what? Yes, we're covering today. I told you originally we weren't, but God's kind of pressed my heart to give you understanding of this. It is honestly a lot of just trust me scripture. It is what it is. Hopefully you have your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. I'm fighting allergies, so if I hack up a lung up here, just pray for healing quick, okay? But Daniel chapter 7, I think to understand Daniel chapter 7, you have to appreciate what has happened in Daniel chapter 1 through 6. Daniel chapter 7 through 12 is all prophetic word. It's God detailing about what has yet to come in symbolism and imagery that people read and get scared of, right? You read it like, this is confusing. This makes no sense. There's talking about some weird beast with weird horns and, and, you know, I don't know, other weird stuff going on. And you, and you see like, same thing, Revelation. We see stories in that. And we're like, how, how do we process? How do we do this? Most of us do probably what a lot of times in my life I did, where we just say, let's just skip over that and pretend it's not. Like, I know it's important. Listen, I know it's important, but I just prefer to skip over it because it makes me uncomfortable because I don't know how to read that. And today I want to give you a glimpse and a hope, like how do we manage, process, and get through these odd passages in Scripture that honestly leave us kind of aghast saying, what does that mean? How do we do that? And like I said, to understand Daniel chapter 7 through 12, this prophetic word, you have to appreciate what has happened in Daniel chapters 1 through 6. Daniel chapter 1 through 6 is history. It's history of what has actually taken place. Daniel is writing it in his 80s, looking back, telling about what God has done and throughout the story. You see this pattern that sets up Daniel chapter 7 through 12. And if you think about what we just talked about, all the things God has done that Daniel's looking back and talking about, you begin to see God's sovereignty at work. In Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7, you see God giving this vision, this dream to, uh, to about these kingdoms. And God's the one orchestrating all that's going out. In Daniel chapter 3 and chapter 6, you see Daniel being miraculously rescued and his friends being miraculously rescued in ways that defies logic. God has shown up and done something that, that like, it's only God that can do that. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, in Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6, in both of the rescues, God actually sends one of like, either his presence or, or his angels to actually be with them. They actually see them. God is in control and God's got all this going on. Daniel chapter 4 and chapter, chapter 5, you have these prideful kings that have these dreams, this vision, the handwriting on the wall, and God's the one in control of even these prideful kings saying, listen, if you don't humble yourself, bro, it's going to turn out bad for you. And he does. It's showing he's sovereign, showing he's in control. The question is, when we see Daniel chapter 1 through 6, is do we see the pattern of sovereignty? And do we see a pattern of God being in control? There's a reason I say this, because if you look at the first part of Daniel chapter 7, it, it makes sense a little bit. Because Daniel chapter 6, you have a new king that we just read about named Darius who comes in place. And before him was another king called Belshazzar. Does that ring a bell? Hopefully a little bit. Okay? But you see Daniel chapter 7. When is Daniel chapter 7 taking place? Look at the first verse. In the first year of who? King Belshazzar. King Belshazzar is Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 7 through 12 is out of order. Well, why is it out of order? Because Daniel wanted you to understand Daniel chapter 1 through 6 so that you could truly understand Daniel chapter 7 through 12. He's wanting to show what God has done and said he would do and how he's came through. Because he's about to unpack stuff that has not happened yet that's going to take faith like none other. Well, how do we have faith? How do we do that? Well, we've seen, we've seen the pattern of what he's done before. There's a reason I think Daniel puts it like this. You see, you see a pattern going on in Daniel chapter 1 through 6 where things get really bad, and in God's sovereignty, you still see that he's in control. But in Daniel chapter 7 through 12, you have a promise. 
we have a promise. Now, I'd love to sit here and read all of Daniel 7, chapter 7 through 12, but it, it's really interesting stuff, and it really gets all over the place. And so I actually have a video I'm going to show you here in just a second from the Bible Project. It's a great resource they have where they kind of do a Reader's Digest version, and I'll explain afterwards why I'm using this. But I want you to watch and it unpacks what Daniel chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 are all about. And kind of look for that, okay? So if you guys are ready, go ahead and play that. Brings us to chapter 7. It's the pair of chapter 2 and the center of the book where all its themes come together. It's another dream, but it's Daniel's this time. And ironically, he can't understand the dream until an angelic messenger explains it to him. He sees a series of four beasts, one like a lion, then like a bear, then one like a winged leopard, each of these symbolizing an arrogant kingdom. And last of all is a super beast, identified as a really evil empire, and it has lots of horns, a common symbol for kings in the Old Testament, and there's one specific horn who is an image of an arrogant king who exalts himself above God and persecutes God's people. Now they are symbolized by a figure called the Son of Man, who's an image for both God's covenant people but also for their king from the line of David. But then all of a sudden, God, who's called the Ancient of Days, comes and he sets up his throne. He destroys the super beast and he exalts the Son of Man on the clouds where he comes up to sit at God's right hand and share in God's rule over the nations. We can look back now and see how all of these stories in the first half fit together. The three stories of faithfulness despite persecution, these are meant to offer hope to God's suffering people among the nations. But they suffer because human kingdoms have rebelled against God and have become beasts. And so these visions encourage patience, that God's people are to wait for him to bring his kingdom and rule over our world and vindicate his suffering people. But it raises the question about when God is going to do that, and that's what these final three visions set out to explore. In chapter 8, Daniel has another vision about the final two beasts of chapter 7, but this time they're symbolized by a ram, who we're told is an image of the empire of the Medes and Persians, and then by a goat, who's an image of ancient Greece. And out of the goat come a whole bunch of horns, one of which symbolizes the evil king from chapter 7. And we're told more about him, that he will attack Jerusalem and exalt himself above God and defile the temple with idols. However, in the end, he will be destroyed by God who will exalt his people and his kingdom. Now by chapter 9, Daniel is very puzzled, especially as to when all of this is going to take place. And so he consults the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah, where God said that Israel's exile would only last 70 years. So for Daniel, the 70 years is almost up. And so he asks God to fulfill his promise soon. But an angel comes and informs him that Israel's sin and rebellion has continued. And so their time of exile and oppression will continue on seven times longer than Jeremiah envisioned. Daniel is deeply disturbed by this, and he has one final vision. We're shown the same sequence of kingdoms. It's Persia, then Greece, and Alexander the Great, followed by lesser kings, all leading up to this final king of the north, who will invade Jerusalem, set up idols in the temple, and exalt himself above God. But then, all of a sudden, this king comes to ruin kind of probably see how reading that would be kind of interesting. You're reading all this information, all this imagery, what's going on, how do we take this, how do we interpret it? And, and to be honest, God doesn't entirely detail how all this stuff comes out. He, he's, it's pretty ambiguous. There's a reason God uses all this symbolic language and stuff. Is, and I'll get to that in just a second. But the question a lot of us come to that maybe naturally props in your mind is, well, what does Daniel chapter 7 through 12 actually refer to? Like, is this stuff that's actually taking place? 
And this is where a lot of people get bogged down and say, well, this is what has happened. Well, this is what has happened. This is Daniel chapter 7 through 12 come to fruition. Some people think it, uh, this, all, all these prophetic images, these prophetic stories talk about the exploits of the Syrian king Antiochus uh, in the uh, 160s BC there at time. It's a time whenever this uh, Assyrian ruler came in, took over the Jews, and conquered them, and began to take away a lot of their rights. If you've ever studied any kind of history of, of Jewish history, you heard about the Maccabean revolt that took place, this situation. What happened is as a way to detest their God, the Assyrian king took uh, pigs and sacrificed them on the altar of God. If you know anything about Jewish culture, that's a big no-no. Started this huge Maccabean revolt that actually led to where you actually get a lot of traditions of Hanukkah and the menorah that came from that whole Maccabean revolt. Some people think that's what it's talking about here. Some people think this is all pointing to the Roman Empire's destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's what this is referring to, talking about Alexander the Great, and then later when Rome and Caesar comes and conquers and takes over. Still others come and say, well, maybe this is actually about when Jesus comes back, his eventual return. We read this, and the problem, the ambiguous, is like, well, which one is it? Which one is it? Which one is it is supposed to be right there? And I love the Bible Project to actually say this. In a sense, they, they're all right. All of them are. You say, well, how can that be? Well, the book offers hope to all future generations. There's a reason I think God doesn't give us the detail, because God doesn't want us to get lost in the details. He wants us to focus on the point. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? Sometimes we can get so caught up trying to interpret future events, what's going to happen, and get caught up saying, well, it's going to happen exactly like this, exactly like this, that we miss out the point of the prophecy in the first place. The point is not about detailing exactly what's going to happen. It's who's in control. It's about showing, hey, listen, things are going to get a little crazy. It's going to look like we're losing and look like things are bad, but you need to understand in the end, God is sovereign. In the end, God is going to vindicate his name. He's going to vindicate his people. You'll see that. That's what it's talking about. And too many of us, it becomes controversial in a sense because we're all saying, well, I think it's this, and if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. We start fighting over details that really is not the point. It's not the point. I think of situation in Scripture. If you ever study uh, the church of Thessalonica in First and Second Thessalonians, Paul addresses an issue where the church thought, they thought that Jesus, when he said, I will come back, they thought it would be in their lifetime. So what do they do? They start sitting around doing nothing, waiting for Jesus to come back. Jesus says he's going to come back. He's going to come back in our lifetime, so let's just chill and wait. And so he writes in 1 Thessalonians, he first addresses this issue, because he's like, I know some of you guys are worried about people who have died, but let me tell you how this works. But in 2 Thessalonians, he talks about people who are unwilling to work. Why are they unwilling to work? Because they think Jesus is coming. Why work? My, my future, my, my retirement plan is coming in my lifetime. Why do anything? That they missed, they got so lost in the details of when Jesus come back, they missed the point that Jesus would come back, and there's a sense of urgency to get after it. The church needs to grow. We need to do this. Sometimes we can get lost in the details and miss the point, and we, we make ourselves useless as Christians sometimes. I'm not saying it's not important to decipher and read. And point. We need to focus on what's the point. The point of the prophecy is this. God is sovereign over all things. He has shown that in Daniel chapter 1 through 6. And he continues to show how he will continue to do that in chapter 7 through 12. I, I'm in control. And he's saying this, there will come a day, I know you're seeing misery, I know you're seeing sorrow, I know you're seeing hurt, but there will come a day when I will vindicate my people. Do you need to trust me on that? You just need to trust me. There will come a day when people will, will, will detest my name and it looks like I've, I've lost control. Can I tell you something? I'm still in control and I will vindicate my name. You just need to trust me on this. 
And how can we trust him because of what we've seen? I think of my own daughter recently. She wanted to go to a birthday party, and she asked, Daddy, can I go to a birthday party? I said, yeah. I said, okay, when is it? It's, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, all right, we'll, we'll leave later that afternoon. We'll run a couple places. We'll get there. I said, we'll go sometime after lunch. And so we ate lunch at like 11 o'clock. Susan said, Dad, it's time to go. I'm like, no, settle down, Daddy. We'll go. I got this, okay? Don't worry. No, no, we need to go now. If we don't go now, we're, we're going to be late. We're going to go. I'm like, just chill out. We're going to go. I promise you, we will get there. I will get you there. She's freaking out. She's like walking, like pacing the floor in front of me the whole time. Like, settle down, child. Like, mellow out a little bit. We get in the car and we start driving and she does what I absolutely love for kids and people to do. Hey, daddy, let me tell you how to get like you're going the wrong way. The backseat driver. I'm like, child, I don't even want to start with you. Like, daddy, are you sure you're going the right way? Like, she's freaking out about the details about how to get there. And I'm like, listen, I will get you there. I promise we will get there. Sometimes we do the same with God. Like, God, this is how, this is, this is detail. And God's like, you need to trust in my promise. Just, just, just trust me. Just trust me. I, I give you as ambiguous details as well because I don't want you to get caught up in that. I just want you to get caught up in me. It's the who, not the how. And so what does this mean for us? And this is where the big idea I think it is. When it comes to how do we apply prophetic word is this, is we need to look for a pattern and trust in the promise. We need to look for the pattern of how God has come through time and time again so we can look forward and trust in the promise. It's the same as other people. How can you trust other people? Listen, you've shown a pattern of faithfulness and goodness in my life. You've came through in my life. And because of that, moving forward, here's a situation I don't understand, but you've proven yourself time and time again. I've seen the pattern. I'll trust in the promise. It's about a pattern and a promise. So what does this practically look like in our life? How do we do this? How do we live a lifestyle that lives by a pattern, a promise lifetime? Like, okay, I've seen the pattern. I'm going to trust in the promise. Because let's be honest, when difficult times come, the promise is hard to trust in, isn't it? If you've ever, if you've ever dealt with any kind of hardship where you've suffered loss, hurt, pain, whatever, and it seems like God is no longer in power and authority or control, you begin to say, is God still good? Is God still in power? How do I make it through this difficulty in my life? You know how I do it? I look at the pattern. I trust in the promise. And so here's what we need to be doing as a church when it comes to a pattern of promise. The first thing is this. We need to become great storytellers of the patterns. That, that needs to be M.O. of our lives. Great storytellers of patterns. You know someone in your life is a great storyteller? Anybody? You get around that person, they're always going to tell you a story. You ask how they're doing, it turns into a 30-minute story about their day and everything unpacked. If you ever get with my family, my dad's that way. If you ever get in a family situation, I love we sit down. He is the storyteller of the family. You get him going. We'll sit there and we just laugh like, I'm amazed you're still alive. Like, just the stupidity you've done. Like, I'm just amazed. Now, we love it. And my dad will tell the same stories over and over again. And I don't know if it's because he just enjoys telling them or he's forgotten that he's told us a hundred times. I don't know. But they're still great every time he tells us. Over and over. Now, can I tell you what is valuable for me? I hear these stories and I hear all he's been through and the resiliency he has and what he's been through. That when it comes to stuff in life that I know is difficulty, I look and like, listen, I've heard the stories of the patterns of my dad's life. This is nothing for him. I'm not worried. We need to become great storytellers of what God has done. Can I tell you our problem in church and life is? Generally, our stories stop at our testimony of salvation. Hey, what has God done in your life? Well, man, when I was eight years old, I remember at Sunday school, I prayed to receive Christ. So, so God hasn't shown up in your life again since you were eight years old? 
Listen, if God is real and alive, otherwise God's just a traveling salesman, knocks on your door and says, hey, buy my vacuum cleaner. All right, I'll come back later when it's broken and I'll fix it someday. Never. God is active in our life. So listen, when we get together, we need to be great storytellers of constantly what God is doing in our life. It's constantly telling testimonies. This should be a pattern of our connect groups. Hey, what does God do in our life? Hey, let me tell you something this week that happened. Like God came through in a miraculous way. Can I, can I tell you what God did for me? Can I tell you my story? It brings the reality. Listen, God's alive and active. It encourages other people. Does it not encourage you when you're struggling, someone tells your testament what God has done, and you're in a difficult situation, go, you know what? That encouraged me. I can trust God again. You know what? I, I, I hear that story. It reminds me of how good God is. Let me ask you this. When was the last time God acted in your life? If I were to sit with you one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, tell me, tell, me, tell me your testimony about God, would your story just be about your salvation experience at eight years old? Has God been dead since then? Has God been sleeping? Has he been absent? Listen, we need to become, with our kids, hey, let me tell you guys, let me tell you what, what God's done in daddy's life. God just came through. Let me tell you about this. We're going to be great storytellers. I mean, it's just, who was the last person you told about that? Can you think, honestly, even the last month that you shared a testimony about God? Can I tell you why we struggle with the promise? Because we forget to talk about the pattern. We've got to talk about the pattern. We become great stories. The second thing I'd say we can do is this. Not only do we become great storytellers of the pattern, we need to become broken records of the promises. You know what a broken record is? I didn't know this too much, but my friend growing up had an old vinyl uh, uh, record player. And uh, we used to take old vinyl record players you play, and you could actually make them go quick by playing with them. And we would just tore up the vinyl records left and right. That's all we did. But here's the thing, because we did that and we messed with so much, sometimes it would get a skip in it and it would kind of loop back. It'd be like, hey, yo, yo, hey, yo, yo, hey, yo, yo. And someone's like, man, that's got a, that's got a kick and beat right there. Like, I can, I can see something going with this, right? No, it gets broken where it just loops back over and over on the same pattern, the same thing until you come and fix it. Can I tell you something? When it comes to us, when it comes to God's promises in our lives, we need to be broken. Like, we need to say over and 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 over. You get in the pattern, right? Until we get blue in the face. J.D. Greer is a preacher I love listening to, and he once said this. He talks about creating culture in the church. He's trying to encourage pastors. He said, listen, he says, you need to continue to talk about what God is doing over and over and over again until you're blue in the face. And when you come to that point where you think, I could not say it again, I can never say it in another situation, people are just starting to hear it. You say it over and over again to where it's like, yes, yes, I know God loves me. Yes, yes, I know that Christ sent a son. Yes, yes, I know. You've said it a hundred times. Yes, I'm going to repeat it because I want it to come in in your darkest times. But what are those things in your life? It's where the importance of knowing and repeating God's promises, firsthand account, are vital. Knowing God's word for yourself. Can I tell you one of my favorite promises that I quote all the time to me because it's so true and it helps me out? 1 John 1, 9. I love it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. You know, when I'm struggling and I'm messing up in sin, I'm thinking there's no way God could love me. There's no way God could forgive me. But you know what gets me out of that rut? Is I lean, I remind myself of the promise. No, wait, 1 John 1, 9 says that if I confess my sins, God will forgive me. You know how I know he will? Because not only does he promise he'll do it, he's shown that he's done it time and time again. He's shown that pattern. I'm going to continue trusting this promise. Scripture tells there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. You know, you ever feel in a situation like, man, God could never love me. Like, you don't know what I've done. No, you know God's promise says something different. And he's showing a pattern of this, so I'm going to trust in the promise. You, you trust the pattern, you see the pattern, and you trust in the promise. But the last thing I say is this. Not only do we become great storytellers of the patterns, 
Not only do we become broken records of the promises, the last thing is this. We become motivated by hope. That's what drives us. What we see, what we have seen, and what we've yet to see, what motivates us, that hope that God will fulfill what he said he's going to do. It's hope, I love the Bible project said this, it's hope that motivates our faithfulness. Hebrews 11.1, great passage, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That that's what faith is. And it's important that we fill our tank with this message of hope. Okay, listen, God's going to do this because that's what's going to motivate me to move forward. What, what you put in your tank ultimately is what's going to drive you, right? Like if your tank is all about just looking good and being a good Christian, all you're going to continue to drive toward, what you're going to be focusing on is just how to be a good moral person. That's what's going to drive your intent. When people validate your goodness and how awesome you are, if that's your goal, if that's what fills your tank, then you know what? That's what's going to drive you. If it's about rewards, like, listen, if I act good, God's going to reward me. If that's what you put in your tank and you believe when God doesn't come through and doesn't reward you, you think you have, what happens? You quit feeling that tank. Well, God hasn't come through on his part. What motivates us is God's promises. I believe God's going to do this, and that motivates me to do what I am, what I'm going to do today. I believe God's going to do what he says he will do. And that's what drives us. We have to look for a pattern and trust in the promise. Look for the pattern and trust in the promise. In your life, what is that pattern? What's that pattern? Where, where has God come through? Sometimes we don't give him credit or glory for it. Do you even know God's promises or do you rely on other people? Well, my connecting teacher told me this or a friend, my grandma, someone once told me this. No, have you read for yourself what scripture actually says? When God says something, God's word, let me tell you something, we can take that to the bank. I think one of the most connecting pictures, images of, of this that I, I've seen and you've probably seen before is from a video clip I kind of want to end on today. It's from one of my favorite movies growing up. It's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Anybody ever seen that? Because, oh yeah, a few of you, okay. You guys got a good sense of taste in this room. I like it. Now, if you don't know Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, let me set up this clip. He, he's going and looking for this holy grail, this holy grail that, that Jesus and the disciples drank out of in, in the upper room. That's what they're looking for. And his dad, Indiana Jones' dad, has, has gone and, and wrote this whole book of all his studies about how to get to this place. And he's going up, and he reaches this place, and there's three trials he has to go through. His first one is one is about, this, is about humbling yourself before God. And he realizes that to, to get through this, he has to get on his knees. And he gets on his knees, and you have these blades come through, and he barely makes it by. The next one, he goes to this other room, and it's, it's, it's telling him how to get through. And he's following the directions in his dad's book, and he's able to get through. And so he's accomplished these two things, and he's done exactly this book has come true time and time again. He's in his last and most challenging situation, and it's a leap of faith. Go ahead and show that clip if you don't mind. from the lion's head.
seen the whole time. But what I love about the situation, it paints a beautiful picture for us in that, that how does he know that he can take that leap of faith? Because of what he's seen, everything else has come through. And he's in a situation, the only way he can get through is I just, I just have to believe. I just have to trust. And, and so I've seen the pattern. I, I, I trust in this promise. Can I ask you, listen, in your life, what does that leap of faith look like? So some of you know right now, God's been stirring a little bit in your heart, something that you, you feel led to do. You've read scripture, you know, maybe it's you're like, you know, what, this job is a situation that's keeping me from being faithful to the Lord. And God's believing me, I need to do something different. This is not a good fit, but I don't know how I'm going to do this. How, how am I going to get through this? And God, God maybe is calling you to be faithful in that. Maybe it's time that you need to give it. Maybe it's something else in your life. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's, it's friendships. Maybe it's things in your life that you know, like, listen, in my life, my leap of faith is I'm going to have to trust the Lord with this because I'm not going to get through this. For me, can I tell you, for a long time, it was my money. It was hard to tithe and give to the Lord. I'm not, that's not a plea. I'm just being honest with you. Like, I struggle. Like, man, I, I need this. I can't get through the week. What am I going to do? And I was like, you know what? God's called me to do this. I'm going to be faithful, and I trust it. It's hard. But God's shown a pattern of coming through time and time again. Some of you, your leap of faith is just simply believing that God can love you, forgive you, and care for you. Simply that your, your sins could be forgiven. You beat yourself up every day like there's no way. Like, God, I'm just not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not, you're, you're not. It's, it's okay. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. So you didn't have to be. To pave the way. Some, some of you, your leap of faith is simply this. It's just in salvation alone. Christ, I need you. I've seen people. I've seen truth in their life. I've seen pattern in them. But I haven't taken this leap of my own. And so my challenge for you is maybe you need to take that leap today and say, God, I give myself to you. I don't know what that looks like just yet. I don't know how it's going to pan out, but I, I trust you're going to lead me as I submit to your leadership. That's what Daniel does. It tells us a story of how God has come through time and time again, and we can continue to trust that he still will. So with your head bows, your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're just going to take just a second. If God's stirring your heart to respond. You do that however you feel led to do. We'll have elders available around here if you need to come pray with them, if you need to come and maybe you need to put your faith in the Lord today. You need to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Being a good person does not save you. Coming to church does not save you. Reading your Bible does not save you. Growing up in the church, a family heritage does not save you. It's the decision you have to make to say, God, I understand that my sins have separated me from you. And the only way I can receive forgiveness and salvation is by submitting and receiving the gift of salvation from you. If you've not done that in your life, can I tell you with confidence you're not saved? You do not know the Lord. You might be around the things of the Lord. You might be familiar with aspects of God, but you do not know God. So I encourage you to do that. So if God's leading you to do that, we got Tony over here and we got Pete over here, Bradley in the back back there if you want. Please come find him right now.
and will continue to be here. If you at any point in the service want to get up and walk out, I want, I want to make them available to you. Um, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward for this morning offering. I'm just going to pray and bless that. And, and as we're praying, if you feel led, get up and go find these men back here. Say, hey, I, I just need, I need hope. I need, I need to take this leap of faith in my life. Offering is, is uh, something we trust the Lord with. It's for our membership here. You're welcome to give as a guest, but we're not pushing you to do that. We, we just want you to come and feel maybe God's leading this to be your church home. So pray about that. So let me just bless that. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your word. Continue stirring our hearts. Continue stirring ways that we, we never thought you could. God, I know there's, I, I know for a fact there's people in this room that are struggling with big decisions, big challenges, big hurdles in their life that only you can overcome. The only way they're going to have a peace of mind is they submit to your lordship. They trust in your promise. So God, I, I pray over this next week, someone would do that. I pray someone would do something this week that shows the trust in your promise. And, and God, even more so next week when we come together, they would talk to people about what you've done and share that testimony. Bless this offering. Let it be pleasing to you. Let us be faithful to what you've given us. God, let us always remember, Daniel, what it means to us. And, and just take it uh, to heart. God, you are good in all things. In Jesus' name I pray.